Good morning, Community Church. It's great to be together. It is almost Christmas Eve. Can you believe it? Let me tell you right up front exactly what we're going to be looking at and talking about today. Uh, we're going to be talking about and stoking the fire of the personal charge that has been given to you by your Savior, Jesus Christ. The nickname for this is called the Great Commission, that you have been commissioned to do something incredibly great, that you have been commissioned to take your life and to spread the word of this Savior Jesus Christ, his love, this offer of forgiveness, so that other people would experience God and that they themselves would also in turn tell other people about the love of Jesus Christ. It is this moment in Matthew chapter 28, right after Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. By the way, if you know anyone who's been raised from the dead, and I don't know too many, you should really listen to what they say. And this is what he says. And it's to his disciples. I want you to spend the rest of your life changing the world by telling people about my great love. This invitation of good standing, right standing with the Father. And they do exactly that. In fact, it's like Jesus Christ just lights this fire under the disciples because they then go out and they then spend the rest of their lives, even at the cost of their lives, influencing and changing the entire world with the gospel message. Listen to these words by Oswald J. Smith. He says this, any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill, and this is what we just talked about, the Great Commission, has forfeited its biblical right to exist. So community church, if we as individual members and parts of this church are not engaged in the Great Commission, in telling other people about Jesus Christ, shut the doors. Just close the whole thing down. If we're not doing that, we cannot, we will not lose sight of those who are without Christ. The day this church becomes singularly about Bible study meetings, committee meetings, prayer meetings, small group meetings, singing worship songs, enjoying potluck dinners, or running staff meetings at the expense or the negligence of a laser-sharp heart and vision for those who are far away from God is the day this church dies a thousand deaths. We should just shut up shop, close the doors, and go home. Personally, the day that your life or my life becomes about, well, I'm going to read the next best Christian book, or, you know, I'm going to go into the church and serve inside the building, or the day that my life or your life is singularly about, you know, well, these are my spiritual disciplines that I'm just about, at the expense or the negligence of those who are far from Christ, is the day that you and I personally have missed the mark. And so without apology, without reserve, over these last several weeks and even today on the run-up to Christmas, we are raising the temperature on a personal level for every single one of us, that we would have a heart for the lost and that we would act on that. Because it's this thing that we most likely all agree with. Yes, I want others to know and experience what I've experienced and what I've come to know in Christ. But much like a fire, 
if that fire is left alone, it's gonna run out of fuel. It's gonna go cold. So we must stoke the fire. We must add fuel to the mission. We must, each of us, personally make sure that it never becomes forgotten. And so Jesus says, even of himself, that the very purpose and mission that I have come from heaven to earth, and this is what he states, Luke chapter 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Matthew 9, Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus Christ knew exactly his mission and his purpose. And I'm calling you to personally never ever lose sight of the world and the people that are around you. Perhaps the Holy Spirit would sharpen our vision when it comes to those people who are lost and people who are without God. Do you ever have those occasions in your life where you're looking for something, you're kind of running around the house and you, you're just trying to get your hands on something and you, and you can't find it, and then eventually you find it, and after a while you realize, man, it was right there in front of me. Do you ever open up the fridge and you know exactly what you're going to go? I'm going to, I'm going to have a piece of fruit. I'm going to get this something. And you're looking and you're looking and you can't see it. And then you see, oh my goodness, it's right there in front of me. Well, I think that's the way it was with Christ. When he looked at the world around him, you and I sometimes, it's right in front of us and we miss it. It was never that way with Jesus Christ. When he saw a crowd of people, look at what it says in Matthew chapter 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus sees them, but then he sees the condition of this crowd. Now, when I see, the, when I see a crowd of people, my tendency is, you know, do you ever mind getting out of my way, please? Or I'm trying to get from here to here. Could everyone just kind of, you know, I have stuff to do. It's just not that way with Jesus Christ. When he saw crowds, he is, there's just like this emotional response. He's actually filled with compassion because he saw the truth of their condition, the state that they were in, that they were lost, that they were leaderless. They were without a shepherd. They were being harassed in life. That's a miserable thing to be harassed. And that they were helpless, that they in and of themselves could not remedy the reality of their lives. So Christ was unable to just look at people and just kind of sort of, you know, shrug his shoulders and say, well, I suppose they'll figure it out. You know, God helps those who help themselves, which is not even in the Bible. I don't know where that came from. No, he saw the reality of their lives apart from God. And he says, look at them. And I want you to do this. I want you to, to consider, particularly we've talked about people, kind of that top three, three people in your life right now. Look at them. They're lost. They're harassed in life. They're leaderless. They need a shepherd. They're helpless. It's like, I want you to look at the world around you, the people in your neighborhood, the people that you work with, the people that you exist in and do life with in. It's like their children playing on a cliff's edge, unaware of the danger that is right beneath their feet. That this is a world filled with people who have turned their backs on God, who are living lives, honestly, that are self-absorbed, self-serving, and self-oriented. Mount Pleasant and Alma, brimming with people who need Jesus Christ, because without him, 
and they're going to get heavy on you right here, without him, they're going to spend an eternity separated from God in a place that the Bible calls hell. They need urgent help, and Christ's heart is filled with compassion for them, and Christ's strategy is to send you and me, the church, into their lives. We're going to look at a scripture in Matthew chapter 24, and here's the thing. Nobody wants to read the scripture because it's heavy. I mean, it's really heavy. This is kind of where it goes. Jesus said, before I return, he says, it's going to get out of control. Before I come back, before the return of Jesus Christ again, it's going to get wild. Now, you think about 2020. We are at the tail end of this year, and it has been difficult. People have lost loved ones. It has been incredibly inconvenient. It has uh, caused fear and anxiety. It has upset people. It has caused isolation. I'm telling you right now, it ain't nothing on what Jesus Christ is referring to. He says, before I come back, it is going to get out of control. It is going to get wild. And even if you just take a larger look beyond just 2020, look at the last century. You can see almost like this, this winding up, this surge, this accumulation of such total depravity in the world across this planet in the last century that I think none of this should surprise us. Jesus says, so many crazy things are going to happen before I return. And then he goes on to say that people, this is heavy, you and I, people, in the context of things becoming crazy and wild, we're going to be like the way it was in the days of Noah. This is what Jesus says, and it's very sobering stuff. It says that in the days of Noah, people were just going around and they were just doing their normal stuff. It says they were eating and drinking. People were getting married. They were going on in life. They were doing family stuff. And then, boom, this flood comes. This judgment comes and it just destroys them. That's what Jesus says. Normal, normal, normal judgment. And it pounced on them. And Jesus says, it's going to be like that. When I come back, nobody wants to hear this. When I come back, I'm coming back to, to judge. That's what he says. And he says, and it will be like, it'll be just like those days of Noah, when everybody was just doing their thing. Now think about your life. Think about the places that you go. And the people that you meet, I mean normal, normal life. Think about the people that you know and the way that they're going about their lives right now. And then you personally, the things that preoccupy you, the things that you give your time to, your attention to, it's normal, normal stuff. It seems to me that no one is really too concerned about this day that's going to come. Nobody is really very concerned about this horrible word, judgment. I've heard church leaders say, like, don't talk about this stuff. There are people who are like, don't read Matthew chapter 24. Don't talk. Nobody wants to hear about judgment. Don't talk about hell. Nobody wants to listen to that. And so 
It's like we just move on pretending that that's not going to happen, and that's insane. Okay, really heavy. Revelation chapter 20. You, we have to read these words with a sober heart. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Francis Chan comments on this. Church, this is describing something that's actually going to happen. Do you get that? This is for real. At any second, any second, you're going to stand before the throne. You're going to stand before God. The Bible, like the language here, it's classic Old Testament stuff, but it's not the Old Testament. It's what's yet to come. It's literally talking about lightning and thunder and the throne of God and standing before the throne in the presence of God. I'd like to make up a different story. I'd love to be able to concoct a softer, nicer God for you. But I don't get to craft God into some image that makes me feel more comfortable. Like it or not, this is God. And we see this picture, millions and millions of these incredibly powerful angels. They're right there before the throne. This is going to happen right there. You, it's like you're here. What does this remind you of? And Boom! One second later, you're not here anymore. You're in the presence of God, surrounded by millions of angels. And in that moment, it will be decided whether you will spend all eternity in glory or whether you will spend all eternity in agony. I hope this stokes the fire. I hope this rattles you. I hope we can take on the significance and even the seriousness and the stakes of what's going on. And what's crazy is that for most people, they just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. I don't even want to consider it. Let's not look at those scriptures. Let's just pretend, let's just pretend that that's not going to happen. But it actually will happen. Which is exactly what Jesus said. It'll be like the days, the times of Noah. People that you know and love are just going to be going around in their normal life, doing their normal thing, eating and drinking and getting married and all of that stuff. Well, you know, 
I, I don't believe it. I don't believe in judgment. I, I don't believe that God would be that way. Well, can I ask you a question? Why? Why, why would you not believe that? Because in your mind, you just don't want him to be that way? Because you're just going to go with, I don't like it, therefore I'm not going to believe it. I want something that feels better. Is that why? For 2,000 years, people have trusted this book. For 2,000 years, people have laid down their lives for this book. They've trusted and defended the contents of this book. And it's not just because of the accuracy of the prophecies or the archaeology or the historicity. It's because they have encountered the resurrected Jesus who rose from the dead, and many of us have experienced him. What they say about him is simply true. And what he says about this coming judgment is simply true. It's going to be like the days of Noah, too many people just casually going about in their lives thinking, it's fine, there's no trouble, everything's going to be great, there's not going to be any problems coming my way. I see more people worried about this pandemic than I see people concerned about eternal judgment from God. And I hope that's a rude awakening for your soul today. I hope that stokes the fire in you. I hope it causes you to look at crowds of people and unlike me to say, do you mind? Get out of my way. I have stuff to do. I've got to go from here to there. I hope it causes you to look at people in your life and to have an emotional response where you, like Christ, are now filled with compassion. Where you look at people and say, look at the misery of how they're harassed. Look at the lies that they're caught up in. Look at their life without Jesus Christ. They are leaderless. They are, they are in need of a shepherd, and his name is Jesus. And they're helpless, which means they cannot fix this problem by themselves. You would look at people that you know, people that you like, people that you don't like, people that bother you, people that you get along with. And I hope it causes you to look at them the way that Christ did. Today, I want to give you the simplest tool to leverage for anybody who is ready to play their part in the Great Commission. We see many examples in the scriptures of what I would call styles of evangelism. Check this out. Peter, I, I would call this like confrontational evangelism. He, just, he gets in front of this crowd and he just confronts them and he gets in their face. Paul is probably a sense of intellectual evangelism. He stands in front of crowds of people and he brings these it's just incredible debates and speaks to people at an intellectual level and appeals to their sense of understanding. There's, I think, kind of testimonial evangelism where people are simply telling their story. We see this blind man who says, look, I'm going I'm to preach a, ser a sermon to you. I don't have, I'm not going to confront you. I'm not going to give you some intellectual argument. But I will tell you this, I was blind and now I can see. That's my story. And, and it affects people. In Mark chapter 5, we see this man delivered from a demon, and it's relational evangelism. After he's set free, it says he goes to his family and he tells them this good news, these relationships that he has. In Acts chapter 9, we see what I would call servant evangelism. There's this lady by the name of Tabitha, and she is just pouring out her life, helping people, conveying the gospel. They're all incredible. But I think there is the easiest simplest biblical style of evangelism that I would simply call invitational evangelism. And actually right now, 
due to the reality of online, it actually could not be simpler or easier right now. In John chapter 4, we find this very broken and desolate woman. She's getting water from a well. And she becomes convinced that she's actually been talking to the Son of God. And rather than preaching a message or servant evangelism or relationship evangelism or confrontation, rather than any of that, what she, here's what she does. Watch the invite. It's so simple. John chapter 4. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, here it is. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. That's it. She left her pots of water at the well. She ran back into the city and she just invited everybody under the sun. She's like, don't, it's not that you're going to come and hear me. It's not, it's not my story or my sermon or my gospel presentation. No, I'm just going to invite you to listen to Jesus Christ himself. And it works. It's invitational evangelism. Because not everybody is great at confronting or intellectual arguments, particularly if they don't have stuff prepared ahead of time. Not everyone is ready to kind of have those debates. But I'll tell you what I think just about anybody can do. I think anybody can go to their friend and say, hey, do you want to do this thing with me? Do you want to come with me? Do you want to, do you want to watch this thing together? I, want to, I just want to invite you. I want to share this experience together. I want you to hear someone else talk about something that has actually changed my life. Come and hear somebody else teach or, or sing or preach or convey truth in whatever fashion. How many of you today, uh, you would say that the actual reason that you have a relationship with the God of heaven and earth is because somebody invited you. Somebody said to you, do you want to come to this thing with me? Do you want to come to this concert? Or would you want to come to this church thing? And you did. Maybe it was parents or a friend in college or someone at work. Maybe it was your neighbor down the street. Maybe it was the most unlikely person, but they invited you and you said, I will, yes. Research actually shows that 47% of people are completely open, <clears throat> not just to being invited to something, but to being invited to church, to physically go into church. So on average, if you took 10 of your friends and you invited them, about half of them would say, I will gladly go with you to church. I will hear about the gospel. And in John chapter 4, you see that this simple invitation has a tremendous impact on the whole city just by giving out invitations to come hear the gospel explained by someone else. And that is what we are going to do in four days. This Christmas Eve, we are going to have an online service. It'll be the identical service at one o'clock, three o'clock, five o'clock, and seven o'clock, where we're simply going to convey the gospel Christmas message. And people who would normally never come to church will come to church, particularly at Christmas. So I'm going to get incredibly practical right now. For every single person who's watching online, I believe we have a massive opportunity in front of us. 
The power of a share is huge right now. The power of an online invitation is huge. Why would we not leverage that at Christmas time? Your ability to send an invitation has never been easier. It is literally a click away, a text away, a phone call away. And so I want to invite every single person after the service. I want you to go onto our church website and I want you to go to mpcc.org invite. And what we have created for you is a page on our website and it is kitted out with the tool that you are going to need and the explanation as to how to use it and to leverage that to simply invite those that you know who need Jesus Christ to come and be a part and to watch our Christmas Eve online service together. Please pray about that. In fact, I don't even know if you need to pray about it. You can pray about maybe who exactly to invite, but I would encourage you, go right ahead and start inviting your friends. Let me close with this. Look at what an invitation can do. John chapter 4, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Church, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time of the year where there is an opportunity simply to reach more people for you. I pray that every follower of Christ would leave online church today with a fresh eye to see people who are in need of a shepherd. I pray that the fire of the gospel is stoked, that it is hot and burning strong in the life of every individual who is a part of community church. God, we ask you for the lost. We will not keep this love to ourselves. We will not become insular or self-centered as a community and as a church. And I pray that we would do all that we can do in the time that you give us to see as many as possible brought into the loving arms of Jesus Christ. I pray that the Christmas Eve services, God, I pray that they are just incredibly powerful, that they are anointed by your Holy Spirit, that they are a reflection of your great love and that hundreds of invitations will take place today and over the next three to four days that will bring glory and honor to you. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless Community Church. See you at Christmas Eve online, 1, 3, 5, and 7 o'clock.